contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only. They are not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Today on The Lab Report, we have Dr. Jill Carnahan. And if you've never heard her story, you are in for a treat. And we are going to talk GI mold and resiliency. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. I can't believe you brought that in today. Oh, the Chex Mix? It's Chex Mix season already. Yeah, well, if there was Why? a high demand. There was <laughs> demands being made at home. Hello! Hi, Michael Chapman. How are you today? I'm doing great, Patty Devers. How are you? I'm crushing it. Living my best life. Oh, yeah? How's, is your back crushing it? Oh, yeah, maybe or not. It crushed? <laughs> a little bit. So this is a podcast. It's called The Lab Report. It's brought to you by Genova Diagnostics. Thank you to Genova. Thank you. This is where we talk about things like functional medicine, specialty lab testing, integrative therapeutics, and the like. And if you like this show, head on over to iTunes, Spotify, do all the likey, subscribey stuff, mm-hmm. hit all the buttons and yep. all that good stuff. That would really help us. Mm-hmm. Don't you want to support us? Sure they do. I mean, it's the season of giving. Why don't you just go ahead and give us wow. a like and a subscribe? Or very bossy. If you have additional feedback, you can always send that feedback to podcast at gdx.net. That's our email address. And if you're a patient interested in ordering testing yourself or being connected with one of our clients, head on over to connect.gdx.net. This is going to be so fun, Patty. When you talk about like the pillars yeah. of our industry and yes. what we do, she is right up there as an icon. Absolutely. And she is an expert on so many different things. Right? Mm-hmm. But like even beyond that, she has overcome so many personal health, uh, I mean, I'll say crises in right. her life. And so, I mean, there's so much wisdom in not only just having the knowledge of what to do in a functional medicine space, but also how to how to do it, you know, with yourself and, and you know, going through it. On your own, that's like a whole other level of wisdom. And there's so much power in telling your story on the path to healing. So I think that's what we're going to do today. Talk to Dr. Jill Carnahan about her path. Great. Let's bring her on. Patty. Finally, Michael. What What? what have we been doing? How have we gone on without this? so silly. I know. Dr. Jill Carnahan is here. And this is going to be amazing. So I know there's no one who doesn't know Dr. Jill Carnahan. Unless they live in a cave, maybe. Uh, yeah, maybe right? a couple people. But yeah. for those couple people, let's just say a little bit. So <laughs> Dr. Jill Carnahan, known as your functional medicine expert, has been featured in Shape Magazine, Parade, Forbes, Mind Body Green, First for Women, Townsend Newsletter, and Huffington Post, as well as seen on NBC News and health segments with Joan London. She's a prominent global keynote speaker and a prolific writer sharing her knowledge on stage and podcasts. With over a decade of producing popular content, her articles can be found in journals, newsletters, books, and social media posts. She's the director of medical director of Flatiron Functional Medicine, a widely sought-after practice with a broad range of clinical services, including functional medicine protocols, nutritional consultations, chiropractic therapy, naturopathic medicine, acupuncture, and massage therapy that attracts A-list celebrities and athletes. A survivor of breast cancer, Crohn's disease, and mold toxicity, she routinely treats patients who come to her for solutions to their medical mysteries that haven't been solved. 
Her YouTube channel and podcast features interviews with the healthcare world's most respected names in medicine, science, and functional medicine. She co-authored the personalized and precision integrative cardiovascular medicine textbook and is set to release her book titled Unexpected through Forefront Publishing in 2023. People relate to Dr. Jill's science-backed mm. opinions delivered with authenticity, authenticity, love, and humor. She's known for inspiring her audience to thrive even in the midst of difficulties. Absolutely. And with that, thank you so much, Welcome. Dr. Carnahan. Welcome. Thank you, guys. I love your energy, and I am so excited <laughs> to be here with you. As I've said, I have loved and used Genova for decades. It's just my age. So. Oh, love it, love it. <laughs> well, well, Dr. Jill, Michael and I have personally seen you speak so many times. Oh, yeah. And your health journey to practicing functional and personalized medicine is so profound and compelling. But for those out there who aren't familiar, can you talk about your inspiring journey, all you've overcome, and in the end, why you practice this type of medicine? Oh, I'd love to. And I just have to tell you, it's so funny because uh, about 12 years ago when I moved to Boulder and started my practice here, I realized in order to connect with patients and get, get patients, I had to start telling my story. Mm -hmm. And way back then, it was very private. I was very personal. I was very nervous about it. And mm -hmm. as you know, I share it a lot now because I realized right. all of us have a story, not just me, and all of us have a journey. And when I started to tell my story, it's just a reflection of those people listening or, or anyone who's been through a journey of difficulty. And my biggest lesson is to take what we've been through, what we've experienced, and to find the pearls of wisdom in it. Because mm -hmm. there's always something there that's worthwhile to be learned, even if it's difficult. Um, the real difficulty started third year medical school. Um, I was a, a medical student at Loyola University and I found a lump in my breast. And of course, I was 25 years old. I did not think a wow. thing of it. In fact, I would have just gone on and been like, screw this. I don't have time for this. Right. <laughs> you know, like mm -hmm. it, we don't have time in this. Right. But I did obviously was concerned enough to get it checked out. And within two weeks, I got a biopsy. I got a call from the surgeon and she said, you know, Jill, I don't know how to tell you this, but you have aggressive breast cancer. Your chances of this are like one in a million. It's like wow. you just won the lottery, wow. not the lottery that I would right. have wanted. Um, yeah. But I found uh, that I was diagnosed with a very aggressive breast cancer. And again, many women who've been through this, there's so many people out there who know mother, grandmother, sister themselves, aunt who's had breast cancer, very common, sadly. But it is a different disease in 20-somethings. In fact, when I was diagnosed in 2001, I was the first a person that young to be diagnosed at Loyola at a major medical center. Sadly, mm -hmm. now it's become more common. Now you hear, you know, 22, 16, it's so scary and yeah. sad. But at the time, it was a massive anomaly and very aggressive. So I was in for the battle of my life. And it was the first part of my journey where I realized that I was supposed to go through life and experience things and understand them at that level. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know yet what else was coming. But in right. that journey, what I did was I took the best of nutrition and naturopathy and prayer and meditation and the best of conventional therapy. I did three drug, incredibly aggressive chemotherapy times six rounds. Wow. I basically, they gave me the maximum dose up into which my heart wouldn't stop beating. What? Wow. Like oh literally that, that chemotherapy I could never get half of my life because if I had the maximum lifetime dose, uh, same with radiation, what can we give her that will maximize the treatment and maximize, but just barely not get her heart or lungs affected. Right. So I had full on, you know, full press, full court um, treatment. Mm. And I, I came out of that. I was bald. I was incredibly weak and um, emaciated, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. um, but I was like, you know what? I survived. I was 26 years old and I went on to finish medical school. I had the last year left of medical school. But within six months, 
I was starting to have cyclical fevers. I didn't know why. I at first just assumed it was part of the cancer treatment and the residual effects, mm. but I started having weight loss, diarrhea, nausea, abdominal pain, and the, um, the extreme exhaustion. And ended up six months later, I was taking a patient's blood pressure in the ER, in my ER rotation. I passed out cold on the floor oh here. I'm God. supposed to be helping them. And I couldn't ignore it anymore. I got um, taken to the emergency room and found I had an abscess and woke up from surgery. And the doctor said, you have Crohn's disease. What? Wow. Oh, come on. Wow. So just six months after that, this was all in 2001 and found out I had Crohn's disease. Now here again, I was like, okay, you know, what do I do? How can I fix this? And tried to mm-hmm. overcome that. Um, the doctor said, you're going to need lifelong immune modulating drugs. You're going to need um, probably surgery multiple times to have resection, depending right. on how your life goes. Um, you're going to need steroids right now. And he ended the conversation. I asked him what else I could do. And he said, Jill, diet has nothing to do with this. Oh, <laughs> right. classic. I remember hearing that and thinking like, Wait a second. yeah, right. And and this was 20 years ago. Now we actually do have evidence of diet and you, you guys know this mm-hmm. so well, right. diet has everything to do with the gut and mm-hmm. autoimmune disease. Mm-hmm. And at that time, that was the first lesson for me as an intuitive healer, because before that I had embraced analytical science. I was a bioengineering major. I loved the science, right? And that's great. But here I had to trust that heart-based intuition that said, wait a second, that doesn't feel right. Like mm-hmm. diet has to have something to do with it. And that led me down the rabbit trail to become the gut expert because I had to heal my own gut mm. through Crohn's. And I first came across the specific carbohydrate diet by Elaine Gottschall. And I thought, what do I have to lose? I've got all these drugs I'm going to have to take. I right. might as well try this. <laughs> right. Within two weeks, my fevers were gone. My symptoms were resolved. I wasn't healed in two weeks, but that was a start of my aha around diet and the gut and autoimmunity. Mm. <laughs> so there is a connection. Is that that's what you're saying? <laughs> Absolutely. 100%. And I always say, you know, it wasn't like the corn or the weed or the dairy right. or whatever right. uh, caused the Crohn's by itself. But you put that, we had to talk about antecedents, triggers and mediators in functional medicine. And it was definitely one of those triggers that took up already permeable gut from cytoxin as a chemotherapeutic drug that I had. We know now with my studies that cytoxin actually pokes holes in the gut and creates more permeable gut. And that's one of the ways how it causes the immune system to fight the cancer. Hmm. So actually triggers the immune system through uh, increased permeable gut. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense for someone who already has genetic predisposition towards Crohn's that they get an inciting factor that causes massive increase in permeability, dumping of the gut metabolites into the immune system, into the bloodstream. And my body's just like, oh, okay, we're supposed to do attack self and Mm -hmm. turn into Crohn's disease from that. Wow. Wow. What an incredible story. And it's, it brought one thing to my mind, which was how often we think of, you know, sometimes our diseases, our illnesses can be our greatest teachers. And what, you know, it it goes back to what you're saying about the power of telling your story. Um, Just to uh, give me your perspective on why that's so powerful and how it's related to kind of healing and trauma. Okay. So I learned this from Bo Eason, who's a great stage speaker and teaches people how to talk on stage and tell their stories. And he says, number one, you can't tell your story until you understand it or have lived it enough to be past the really traumatic. Like if you're in the midst of something, you don't understand it you shouldn't be telling it then, right? Right. Like you have to have come through it, but you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to be completely resolved of everything, but you have to have some understanding in that story of number one, why did this happen? Um, Number two, what can I gain from this? Number three, how can I learn and be a better person, a better teacher, a better healer from this? And if you go into something, because now I know my life has been over and over and over again, it's been difficult circumstances 
I recently said, you know, I never wanted to be the mold expert. Um, and it was accidental because once again, that's another part mm -hmm. of the story. But all that to say, now I know when life throws a curveball, which still happens, um, and and I am in the midst of that, I can go right away to what is the meaning and purpose here? Mm. Um, way back with my breast cancer, I was um, in the car listening to a radio show and it was some preacher on the radio and it said, the sickness isn't going to end in death. It's for the glory of God. And whether you believe in God or not, isn't the issue. But for me personally, it was kind of like this shift of weight. There's something deeper here. There may be purpose or meaning. Mm -hmm. And I don't ever believe that the universe allows or like causes suffering, but I believe that when it does happen, because that's what our world is about. I mean, there's difficulties or we all are facing different things. And if you're not in something right now, you've just gone through something or you're just about to, <laughs> I promise no you that, doubt. right? So what happens is as if we can embrace life to know that there is meaning and purpose. And then when we get into that difficult circumstance, pause and say, okay, what is there here for me to learn? I went through a divorce as well. And the divorce was really difficult. And I could have blamed my ex or I could have blamed myself. But instead I said, wait, what can I learn here? And it turned out to be one of the greatest transformation things in my life. Mm -hmm. So as we come through those things, sickness or death or divorce or loss of loved ones, we can find meaning and purpose in them. And then when we teach or tell our story, we can use that meaning and a purpose to actually encourage another person or help another person who's in the midst of their own story. Wow. How profound is that? Even to have learned that lesson so early in yeah. life and then to become a healer yourself that and to share that, that's well, the, just profound. The other thing I think, too, is uh, there's an aspect to what you're saying, Dr. Carnahan, that involves, I think, authenticity as well um, and vulnerability, right? What the, the vulnerability being expressed to other people, which I tend to see, we're almost as a population moving in a direction that is not vulnerable, right? If you look at social mm -hmm. media and the way that people are sort of promoting themselves as maybe a reflection of themselves that's not 100% authentic, authentic um, you know, the vulnerability is what leads to the healing. And that's why I wonder why there's so much, you know, even depression around social media too. Mm -hmm. Oh, this, I'm so glad you mentioned this because we're all guilty, including myself, of putting on a mask, right? right. And we grow up in a, usually a culture, a family, a situation, a religion, a politics, whatever kind of situation we're in, where we're supposed to show up. And especially in medicine, especially those physicians who are listening, those practitioners who are listening, we're literally taught in medical school, don't cry in front of the patient. Mm -hmm. Don't share your own story. Don't show vulnerability because you're supposed to have all the answers, be objective mm -hmm. without a flaw. Mm -hmm. And that leads to depression and anxiety and people literally falling apart because what happens is none of us are perfect, right? Mm -hmm. And all of us think that we have to put on this mask and present to the world the best version of ourselves. And as you mentioned with social media, it's even become um, exponentially worse because there's filters and there's like, who really do we see on social media mm -hmm. that actually is a real face and the real eyelashes and they're real, right. you know, yeah. right? And so we get to see this <laughs> false version of reality and like, especially young women and young men, all of a sudden we're like, oh, we're not good enough. We're not enough. We're not enough enough we're not enough we're hearing that message and what i love is the freedom i'll tell you when i was uh, sick with mold illness and i had a horrible rash around my eyes like it was red and bloody and it just looked horrendous and then at times i had cystic acne so my face my billboard to the world the thing that was projecting mm -hmm. in front of my patients my staff my friends my family was it looked horrendous i was ashamed and i remember one day sitting in my car looking in my visor before i was about to go into an event and I just started crying because I looked in the mirror and I thought, I'm supposed to be a healer. Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to have answers. I'm supposed to be able to help people. Mm. Look at me. I look horrendous. 
But you know what? Coming to grips with the fact that I'm human. I'm in the suffering too. I'm, I can be a patient too. And there's nothing wrong or to be ashamed of by that. And what happens is as we start to step up, and again, in the beginning, I would tell a story of like, oh, we fixed this. I'm great. I know how to heal. And now I come in the journey and say, I'm on the journey with you. Mm-hmm. And I, I do know a lot that I've been through, but I'm still in the journey, still learning. And that's called taking off the mask. And you know what? We can only really connect. We talk about mask culture, right? It's right. hard to really, did you notice during the pandemic when, and I have no problem with mask. I'm just saying like the way that when we hide half of our face from someone, there's this almost like inaccessibility or maybe a little bit more fear because our Olympic system can't look at the whole face. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And we mm-hmm. see that with mask as a very real example during the pandemic of how that affected us in our social skills. Mm-hmm. And that's why taking off that mask literally and figuratively is so important because the human connection is based on, you know, looking at each other, mm-hmm. seeing the humanity of people and You've seen those kind of people who, you know, put up tons of makeup and they're beautiful, but you see them without makeup and you're like, oh my goodness, they look really lovely. Right. They're so young looking, right? right. And that's all about taking off the mask. Yeah. Well, yeah. let me let me talk about another part of your journey. And you've touched on it a couple of times since we've been speaking. And it's mold, mold toxicity and mold exposure. So can you tell us a little bit more about that experience? And, you know, what are the signs and symptoms? How do you know if you might be suffering from it? Talk a bit about what you've seen and experienced. Yeah, so this is one of those invisible things that is epidemic. And they say, um, they said, you know, 10 years ago, one in 24 or one in uh, one in four, I'm sorry. So 25% of the houses out there in the U.S. have some sort of water damage. Now they're saying maybe one in two, which is more like 50%. Wow. So it's it's really increasing in how many people are affected. And it's invisible. Usually it's behind a wall and in a basement, maybe in an attic or a crawl space. So you don't necessarily see, oh my gosh, there's mold growing on my walls. That'd be unusual. So number one, it's invisible. Number two, it's common. And number three, it causes a lot of things that look like other things, like it could look like autoimmunity and multiple sclerosis, could look like Alzheimer's, dementia. Um, And so common symptoms would be Brain is number one thing affected. So brain fog, focus, concentration, memory, mm-hmm. uh, word finding, saying the wrong words. When you mean cat, you say dog. Mm-hmm. Um, other things would be skin rashes, increase in mast cell activation. So allergies, asthma, eczema, um, all those kinds of things. Gut can be affected. So diarrhea, constipation, um, gas or bloating. It does increase permeability. So you'll also have more immune system dysfunction and autoimmunity. Weakened immune system. So old infections could pop up. And that's just to name a few. Mm-hmm. Um, you can have uh, electrostatic shocks. You can have ice pick pains. You can have migraine headaches. So these are just a slew of the many symptoms mold can cause. The ultimate um, mimic. I mean, it's yeah. basically everything, right? Right, right. It really is. It yeah. really can look like almost anything else, and especially the epidemic we're seeing with mast cell issues mm-hmm. and with um, autoimmunity right. and with neurological and brain dysfunction. So those yeah. are the big categories. Um, that it can cause. For me, I was uh, in an office in Boulder. It, it, my office had been built over an unfinished crawl space. There was a flood in Boulder in 2013, all of a sudden massive water and really triggered the growth of some mold that was probably already there. So the year after the flood, I started going downhill with energy issues and brain fog. And like I told you, the skin stuff was all massively affected. And um, I didn't know what it was, but I finally went down, found um, stachybotrys in the basement. Mm. My urine tests were positive for trichosethenes, which is a um, metabolite of that black toxic mold. So I knew there was an issue. And once again, I was like, okay, I've got to figure this out. Where's the meaning and purpose here? Right. (laughs) Wow. 
Yeah. Well, and so, you know, part of what we do to kind of clinically work with that is, you know, obviously getting, removing the mold, whether that's remediation or depending on the degree of saturation of the mold, whether that just involves, you know, moving to a better place. But then how do we, you know, from a a, a clinical approach, a functional medicine approach deal with getting rid of the mold toxicity or how do we handle kind of, uh, how do we treat it, I guess? Yeah. So it starts with getting out of the situation. And I always start there because if you are in a home and there's water damage and you stay in that home and there's massive stachyarchotomium or some of these black toxic molds that are causing illness, you stay there and there's no amount of IVs or protocols or supplements or food or anything that can completely reverse it. So you really do have to find the root, whether it's again, in common places would be like if you had a leak in your sink and there was water damage under your floor, your dishwasher. I just recently at this beautiful condo I live in had a leak behind the fridge and I found there was some gatomium went through remediation Mm -hmm. here just recently. Um, And so fridge water lines are a big hidden thing. I learned, okay, this is my tip. Don't ever connect your fridge to a water line. It's just not worth it. You can make ice cubes yourself. Right. (laughs) Right. That was my big lesson. Like I'm never again having a water line, but it's just too risky. (laughs) Um, Attics or anywhere where there could be condensation, crawl spaces with standing water. If your house is on a grade and you have water running towards the house for any reason, and that's just to name a few. So all of these things can cause water intrusion on materials like um, plywood or on your drywall that is porous. And when they get absorbed with water, they are a Petri dish for mold. So it's very commonly behind walls, under floors, places you don't see. What you might notice though, is you move to a new house or uh, a year after the flood, like for me, um, you started having symptoms. So if there was a timeline where something changed with your environment and then all of a sudden you or another family member started to have symptoms, that would be a good clue that there might be mold, especially un- new onset, unusual cognitive issues. That's a real common one where all of a sudden I can't remember names and it's not just age, you know, it happened mm-hmm. in the last three months um, or fatigue. So what to do about it? Your question was how to treat it. Right. So what to do about it? You have to get out of the situation. You have to fix the problem. You have to remediate. Um, next thing is just detox. And so some of the main things there, we have mobilization and excretion. Mobilization is taking those things out of the tissue that have accumulated in our tissues and getting them into the bloodstream so that our kidneys can filter them, our bowels can filter them, our liver can filter them, or our lungs and skin can filter them. So mobilization can be done with like glutathione, anything to enhance glutathione. So N-acetylcysteine, mm-hmm. lipoic acid, milk thistle, um, bile acids, or um, cholagog herbs that would help excrete bile or even like things like Tudka, all of those things that help phase one, phase two of the liver to excrete the toxin into the bile. And then the bile drips into the bowel. And basically if you use binders, clay, charcoal, glycomannan, chlorella, there's many types of binders. These all have electrostatic charges and they can actually bind to the toxins in the bile and help to escort them out because our bile recirculation is incredibly efficient. It's about 95% re-efficient. Yep. It's like a merry-go-round, yeah. you guys know yeah. well. Yeah. And so basically if we don't have some sort of electrostatic charge, whether it's prescription binders like cholestyramine or clay and charcoal, those things will actually grab some of that bile with toxins and pull it out through the stool. And so increasing glutathione, in, enhancing biotransformation through the liver, um, in, enhancing excretion of bile, and then using um, any sort of inert substance that has a charge, we call them binders, mm-hmm. to pull the bile out through the stool. That's number one, that's mobilization. 
Excretion you can enhance through dry brushing, um, sauna, infrared sauna, um, uh, hydrotherapy. You can do so that's hot and cold therapy, like with water. If you do cold baths or things, mm -hmm. anything to stimulate lymphatics. Um, coffee enemas can work. Um, um, castor oil packs over the liver can work. So all of those things, which our naturopathic friends have taught us a lot. <laughs> I was going to say, where did you go to ND school, Dr. Carney? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> coffee enemas, God forbid. Oh my God. I can't believe you mentioned that. <laughs> oh gosh, that's so great. All right. So we have some ideas on how we're going to treat it. Can you talk a little bit about that recovery process and the resilience after mold related illness? Like, is this a long haul? Is this something that can come back and the symptoms recur? Talk a bit about that recovery and resilience, though. I think that that should actually be your middle name, Dr. Carnahan. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Carnahan. Jill Resilience Carnahan. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> right. I love it. Um, yeah. So, um, this is not a quick process. Um, I always say six to 18 months is realistic. In my own journey, I had massive exposure. I had all kinds of other things from my history. Mm -hmm. And I think it really took, I started noticing some difference in six months, but really to get to like 80% better, it was about 18 months. Mm -hmm. So it's a long haul process. Right. And you can expect, for example, when I first started, I'm like, let's just fix this. Let's get going. Let's. Mm -hmm. And so I do stuff to myself that I would never do to patients as far as how quickly I do the protocol or how yeah. aggressive I am with myself. Cause I know I, you know, I, maybe I'm just mean to myself, but um, so for example, I took loads of charcoal right away and I got hives head to toe oh, for no. several months because I was basically mobilizing quicker than yep. I could excrete. This right. right. Got yeah. it. Got it. Got it. Well, you also, I mean, <laughs> you mentioned the inflammatory bowel perspective right. of it too. And, you know, we do a lot of talk around here, especially with, you know, GI health. And we actually just had on uh, another gastroenterologist, Dr. Ryan Jerby, talking about inflammatory bowel disease. But what was your approach to solving your own personal inflammatory bowel disease? Because it's so difficult to treat. It's so tricky. So I love this. I love Dr. Jerby too. So. Oh, uh, yay. Um, so with inflammatory bowel, and I see a lot of people now again, cause of my own experience. So the first thing is checking for, um, and again, I use your testing for this. So mm. it's, the, it's the best thing out there. Yeah. Um, I, I first check for overgrowth of bacteria, overgrowth of fungus, um, parasites, any sort of things that shouldn't be there. And then there's this inflammatory cascade that you need to calm down, but you can't really calm your body is reacting for a purpose. So if there's a SIBO or SIPO or a Giardia or something underlying or undiagnosed celiac in my personal case, I had SIBO and SIPO, probably worse fungal. Here's an interesting pearl that maybe someone's talked about, maybe they haven't. Number, number one, fungal issues in the gut are hard to detect. You have to have a high index of suspicion. So I always say your organic acid testing is one. Your um, serum, candida, IgG, IgA, IgM is another, mm -hmm. and then your stool. And so you need all three of those. And sometimes only one of them will show positive. Mm -hmm. And then nowadays there's other types of fungus. So sometimes you, you know, you do all that and you still don't see it. So you kind of have to have a strong index of suspicion. Fungus produces acetylaldehyde, which is a byproduct similar to formaldehyde. So, and if you drink too much alcohol and have a hangover, guess what? Acetylaldehyde is what causes that hangover. Mm -hmm. So if you think of the typical hangover symptoms, like um, foggy thinking, um, headache, a uh, little bit of, you know, feeling woozy, feeling unsteady, um, trouble with memory, um, maybe feeling uh, sick or tired or nauseous. Those are all the symptoms of acetylaldehyde toxicity. And that would be a similar set of symptoms that candida or, or uh, yeast could cause. So back to Crohn's and colitis, 
One of the test panels we do is called an inflammatory disease markers. And there's four antibodies. You can do this on any regular, you know, lab, serum lab. And they're like anti-saccharomyces antibodies, anti-mannocide antibodies. I can't name them all, but they're basically all carbohydrate antibodies to yeast. So if you, and, and there's this correlation in the conventional literature for those four antibodies, um, ANCA and AMCA and on, um, to be correlative to the severity of Crohn's. Hmm. They're all antibodies hmm. to yeast. Hmm. So what does that tell you? I would say 90% of the Crohn's that I have diagnosed has yeast as one of the triggers, if not the main trigger. And that's something that I think a lot of docs aren't focused on. Now, SIBO can be there as well. Giardia could be there as well. So you want to look for all these things, but you cannot start to calm that immune system until you get rid of the trigger. Yeah. And for me, it was um, cancer, chemo created more permeability, but then I had massive yeast overgrowth because of immune weakness. I had massive bacterial overgrowth and I had to treat those things in order to get that calming effect. Once you get those things treated and you can use herbs like um, caprylic acid or oregano, undelisaic acid, berberine, and many, many others, garlic, um, grapefruit seed extract, and combinations of those. And I really like combinations because if there is a fungal component, you're going to cover both. Mm -hmm. You can also use zyfaxin and neomycin and fluconazole. So you can mm -hmm. use either way, mm -hmm. but you've got to treat that and sometimes fairly aggressively. And then after that, you start to heal. You can put back in spore probiotics or you can put back in lactobacillus or bifidobacter or whatever kinds of things that you're missing. And then you can start to heal with butyric acids, um, butyrate, of some sort, uh, bovine immune globulins or colostrum, and some of those things that really shift the immune system to a calmer state. Well, you, you actually mentioned right. earlier this specific carbohydrate diet, which yeah. which strikes me as it relates to yeast as, you know, our, a high carbohydrate diet as a trigger and then as a treatment almost for the fungal overgrowth. Yes. So diet's huge. And I didn't really specifically talk about that. I don't ever do a one size fits all, but there is a lot of evidence for Crohn's specifically and responding to a specific carbohydrate diet, because I believe SIBO and SIFO are almost always at the core of either this, the beginning trigger to Crohn's or colitis or the thing that perpetuates the damage. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so almost 100% of the time, there's some degree of SIBO and SIFO that need to be treated. And the specific carbohydrate diet is a kind before Elaine Gottschall even knew what she was doing. She just knew it worked. Mm -hmm. She's basically doing a type of elemental diet right. and elemental diet is obviously pre-broken down food. I always correlate it to like a neonate who can't tolerate soy formula. They're on that neocate or whatever formula it is. And that's just an elemental diet for babies. Mm -hmm. That's all it is. Yeah. It's already broken down. Right. Well, we can do that for adults too, because when you take away the food for that SIBO and SIFO, all of a sudden it's going to die off and go away mm -hmm. on its own. Right. So, yeah. Gotcha. yeah. Well, and it's, it's so funny too, the way things kind of all trend together because we talk about these different diets, like anti-inflammatory diet or keto diet, you know, and um, so much of that, <laughs> so much of the argument seems to be around, you know, fat ratios, protein ratios, and the aspect of carbohydrates, like finally getting the, a little bit of the limelight being like, maybe we shouldn't be eating so many carbs, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like now we're, and we're seeing it's a really great treatment for, you know, the underlying SIBO, SIFO, like you're saying, but then ultimately, you know, significant inflammatory bowel disease. Yeah. And don't you think a lot, I mean, you guys know the gut like I do, because you're in a lab that so deals with the gut and gives us the great data. But um, don't you also wonder if people who are having weight loss on keto or all these other diets where they are usually lower carb, 
um, I think they're actually accidentally treating their SIBO, their gut, right? Yeah. Like I think yeah. two things I think, I think they don't even know it, but they're treating their gut and they're doing a good job. And then their weight goes off because that can affect weight gain and difficult weight loss. Number two is grains are the most highly contaminated food group for mycotoxins or sure. mold. Yeah. So I think another secret is all of a sudden people are getting on a lower mold diet and a lower contaminated diet. Like the U.S. grain, the regulations for grain and coffee and some of the crops that have high mold is so, so bad, I, I should say, like Europe has these high standards. So all the rejects of the mold in the coffee and the mold in the grains, they come to the U.S. So a lot of our grains and our products are more moldy. And that obviously causes more permeability, causes more symptoms. So again, an accidental thing of a paleo diet is you're right. on a low mold diet because yeah. you have no grain. Well, and the uh, the other I crazy thing too is not just for weight loss, but it's like, oh, by the way, it also helps with schizophrenia. Oh, by the way, it also mm -hmm. helps with this disease and that disease. It's like going back to what you're talking about. It's like, oh, well, maybe it's treating root cause. <laughs> Yes, yes. Yeah, and they don't even know it. You know, this is a little pearl too. We always think of like celiac disease or gluten, non-celiac gluten intolerance causing gut issues, which is true. 50% of the people present with gut. Guess what? As you mentioned, the other 50% present with brain issues, mm. insomnia, bipolar, schizophrenia, or some form of brain issue. And that's about half of them with celiac or non-celiac gluten sensitivity have no gut symptoms and it's all up here. See? Yeah. Well, you know, technically, <laughs> we've got it now, Michael. Well, it's clear Dr. Jill can talk about just about any topic we bring up. But I want to talk about you for a second. There are so many exciting things happening for you, Dr. Jill. I mean, your memoir is coming out in a few months. And then there's a documentary coming. Tell us what's going on yeah, here. Yeah, exciting. So oh, it is a crazy story. I've been working on a book for a while and the last year and a half, I really got serious. And so that will be out March 7th, 2023. Wow. If you want more info, just go to readunexpected.com. Right now I'm working on all these fun bonuses and audio secret chapter and a coloring book, a coloring journal. Yes. Like, so all these fun things are going to yeah. be there. Um, but the book, so the book's called Unexpected. And it's unexpected finding resilience through functional medicine, science, and faith. And it's that dichotomy between the masculine and the feminine, the right and the left brain, the faith and the science. And like, how do we bring this together right. and use our brains, my, my best resources right here, analytical mind, but then also my heart intuition, because some of the real insights and, and things that I've learned deepest are on the heart intuitive mm -hmm. level, not the brain. And so I kind of bring that together in the book of like, how can we really, and when I first started, it was like, I want to talk about environmental toxicity and all the levels of toxicity in our world. But then I wanted to go deeper on relational toxicity and oh, trauma, nice. childhood trauma, and like go to all the levels. So I think of it as toxicity on all realms. And that's really how not only do we want the clean diet, and I talk about my cancer, my journey through Crohn's and my journey through mold illness. But then I go on to talk about my divorce and how it caused an awakening and how it caused me to have loving compassion towards myself, and how that affects the immune system. So it's on all levels. Mm. That's the book. And that was happening. And January 2021, I was sitting in my meditative chair, and literally January 1st, and in the midst of the pandemic, and I just had this real thought very deeply, wow, the pandemic has shifted how people take in information. Mm -hmm. Now people are on screens and they're watching Netflix more than ever before. And I thought, if I really want to get this message out of hope and healing through functional medicine, I need to be on screens. Yeah. And granted, I have no experience. It's almost laughable. <laughs> but what if I did a documentary, right? You know, like, what if I did a documentary? And I had this idea and I called some friends. And within seven days, I had a producer, interested director, executive, like all of a sudden we had a team wow. in seven days. Wow. So I thought, okay, this is supposed to happen. <laughs> right. And I said, this is the best story. And then I said, okay, guys, I don't know what I'm doing, but put together a budget. How much money do we need? And it's a lot to film a documentary. Yeah. So they gave me a budget. 
okay, well, if it's supposed to happen, it'll happen. And within three months, I had a call with an incredible friend, investor. I didn't know it at the time, but as he told me his life story, I thought, I have to tell him about the movie. And yeah. I did. And he said, I like this idea. Let me fly out and talk to you about it. And within two weeks, we had a promise and a check for the entire budget. Wow. Amazing. So, so that was the, the miracle story. And that was May of last year. We got the, the funding from our investor. And then um, we started filming June and we've been filming through August. It's called Dr. Patient. And it's mm. funny because once again, the director producer, we were going to do a, a movie with lots of interviews and things about environmental toxicity and all these levels. Right. But as we got filming and as they read the book, they're like, Jill, your story, we kind of got to follow your story because it tells all the parts. Of it. Right. And, and we talk about some patients too. So it's not just about me, but it really follows my journey through um, all these things and, and all those levels. And um, right now it's being submitted to Sundance and all the film festivals. So wow. hopefully next fall, we will, we will know exactly how it will be distributed. Um, we expect, you know, what happens is at those film festivals and someone will pick it up and say, okay, Netflix wants to pick it up. And so we don't know exactly yet which route it will be distributed, but the book will be out in March and the movie probably in the fall. And um, I, my hope is just that it will inspire and encourage uh, I poured my heart out. I'm incredibly vulnerable in both of these things, mm -hmm. but I'm willing to do that because I think as we tell our story, it's not about me really, but it's about me reflecting the common experiences of humanity. And that is a connective tissue of our spirits. And we all see one another as we share our stories. And what my hope is that it will inspire and impact people. And more than just our crowd who knows about function medicine, my hope is that it will inspire the world and those people who don't know that there's hope. And they'll be like, oh my goodness, maybe I don't have to suffer with mm. this disease or this illness. Maybe there's answers for me too. Wow. Brilliant, brilliant. Great work. And congratulations on all of that. <laughs> Too. Course, I mean, it's, it's just incredible what you're, you. what you're putting together. But, but, you know, it's so altruistic and authentic and, and your story is so compelling that I'm not surprised this came together within seven days. I mean, come on, you manifested <laughs> a documentary, Joe. <Jill>. Right. <laughs> That's awesome. So now I'm a producer, guys. Oh, <laughs> look out. Here she comes. <laughs> well, that being said, Dr. Jill Carnahan, as always, you are a delight to hear and to listen to and to talk to. So we're so proud that you came on our podcast and we're going to link to your website and books and all of these things in the show notes but before we let you go we do have one last question that i'm going to kick to michael chapman ah uh, yes this is called the fireball question and it's meant fireball. to catch you off guard and it's supposed to make you maybe i don't know ponder in silence <laughs> and be frustrated and not be able to answer and get so, mad at michael that's right that's right question. so yeah of these three things this is a multiple choice i think of these okay. three things which is the most healing extreme snow skiing mountain hiking or rock climbing Oh, that is tough. Uh. Um, mountain climbing and rock climbing are more, there's more fear based there because they're, uh, my, they're above my skill level. Uh -huh. And I do them just to put myself, and this is a little lesson for your listeners. When you put yourself a little bit outside of your range of comfort, all of a sudden the unexpected, usually you have more creativity, more ideas. So I like to put myself in those situations, mm -hmm. but the answer to your question is snow skiing because I <laughs> love my best flow state inducer is snow skiing for Love sure. It. <laughs> That's well, awesome. That's awesome. you know, just a little insight behind this fireball. We happen to know Dr. Jill has a lot of really interesting hobbies, yeah. including yeah. motorcycles. I mean, we know there's a lot of interesting stuff happening there. But you even frame that brilliantly because yeah. essentially the one is, is essentially growth through pain um, or discomfort, I should say is probably a better mm -hmm. word. And then the other one is just pure joy. Yeah. Yes. yes. Love, yeah. love. Well, Dr. Jill Carnahan, again, we're honored that you spent time with us. Thank you so much. Thank you. You guys have wonderful energy and it is a joy to be here with you. Thank <laughs> you again for having me. Take care. Thanks.
Okay, well, it's clear, Michael. What's clear? That we could have taken this conversation in a million different directions as mm-hmm. it relates to clinical pictures and functional medicine. Uh, and she's got so much experience right? that, I mean, Seriously. we could have, we, this could have been a nine-hour podcast. <laughs> but you know what that means. We have to bring her back on. Uh, of course. You know what else is clear? Hmm. I don't do a, hardly anything that's dangerous. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't it's like, what are your hobbies? It's like right? playing guitar. <laughs> It's certainly not like skydiving and all the things that she's doing on a regular basis. But you know, when you've been through as many challenges as she has, you just embrace life and you just go for it. That just made me uncomfortable. (laughs) Next time on The Lab Report, we're going to talk to Dr. Ken McGrath. Full disclosure, he's kind of our friend. He is that, and he is also a world-renowned molecular scientist. Like international. Yeah, and we're going to talk whole genome sequencing and the microbiome. Can't wait. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. So, Patty, I've got uh, another one here for our panel of awesomeness. What do you mean? You know, like Will Cole and all these people who oh. give us like these great accolades. It, I guess people don't realize that after we stop hitting record, we have conversations with most yeah. of the guests, yeah. And, yeah. And, and they give us sometimes. glowing praise sometimes. sometimes. You guys are really great at this dynamic. Very, Not everybody's talented. Everybody's a podcast host these days. But you guys actually have skills, so I really love it. So that was Will Cole. Will Thanks, Cole, Dr. Cole, saddle up next to Dr. Jill Carnahan. <laughs> Michael, you didn't tell me how fun your podcast was. Truly, <laughs> <laughs> you guys are amazing. I mean, I've Aww. done lots of stuff. You guys have an incredible, I really mean that. Aww, Thank you that's so really much. Sweet.